0: Visit roberthalf.com today.
1: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh. and first pitch, twitching. Deep left field!
0: This is Got a fantasy question? Email Baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where
1: fantasy becomes real here's frank
0: scott and chris
1: Fred Beatty, are you kidding me welcome in to fantasy baseball today on thursday august 18th frank Sanford joined by scott white today on the show we've got some pitchers duels want to do a little jose altuve appreciation because we haven't done that probably all season long and he definitely deserves it he's running again who knew mm. it's been pretty sure. awesome And we do have some rankings, risers, and fallers. We will get to Brett Beatty, oh my goodness gracious, in just a second. Scott, can I ask you a random baseball question? No. Okay, let's Let's start. Let's move on. (laughs) How much emotion do you put into regular season baseball games? Do they affect you mentally? Not
0: much. Not much. I I got a little emotional with uh, today's game. What day is it? Wednesday's game. Against uh, between the Braves and the Mets, pretty crazy game. It was a pretty crazy game, you know. Uh, the Braves went down early six to one with Scherzer on the mound. Uh, they climbed back to within one in the seventh inning. With you know, Scherzer put some runners on, reliever came in, allowed a bunch of inherited runners to score. Robbie Grossman, of all people, hitting a two-run homer to bring them within one. And it's like, oh, yeah, we're back in this game. That was unexpected. So, you know, they, they kind of, like, lured me in, you know? I was, I was ready to count it as a loss already. And then, inexplicably, Walt Weiss, who was managing the team at that point because Brian Snitker had been ejected, he brings Jackson Stevens into work the ninth inning at, at a one-run deficit uh with Edwin Diaz. The Mets already committed to using Edwin Diaz for a second inning. And uh it went it went pretty poorly. I don't know why you bring in a mop-up guy in that situation, why you couldn't bring an AJ Minter or something. So I was a little mad. I was a little mad. That that was more information that you were looking for. <laughs> but I got over it pretty quickly. You know, if it was a playoff game, I'd probably be you know, I'd probably have trouble sleeping that night <laughs> if if something like that happens. But yeah, I mean it's just regular season, you know, a drop in the bucket in the grand scheme of things. I would say it's rare though that I get that emotionally invested. Usually I watch it completely stoic, you know, like I just wish taking it in. I wish not I could. reacting really to anything.
1: <laughs> I wish I could do the same, man. Like sometimes I come on here and I've just gotta try my best to put on a brave face and just keep it together and I, I wish. I wish I could just not care so much but man some of these games are, especially look obviously people don't care about the yankees but i think it's pretty fun to just like talk about our fandom in general it was a crazy night for you it was a crazy night for the yankees obviously too they've they're playing terribly the roller coaster of emotions within this game scott they're down four zip glaber torres hits a two-run homer cuts the deficit in half rain delay base is loaded one out they only score one run they hit into a a, a double play four to three i'm like okay well this game is over Anthony Rizzo, solo home run, ties it. this Chapman in the top of the 10th inning, gives up three runs. I'm ready to rip my hair out. Josh (laughs) Donaldson, walk off Grand Slam. Wow. It's just a crazy game. Like, man, baseball. You can't predict it. That's what they say, right, Scott? Anyway, let's get into uh, today's action. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gracious. And, Scott, I will let you take... I guess he's kind of a breadstick, right? We got to lead off with him.
0: Yeah, we got to lead off with Brett Beatty because Brett Beatty led off his major league career with a home run. First time he swings in a major league game, it goes over the fence. His family was over the moon. His mom kind of reminded me of the lady in the Carvana commercials, who's very excitable in those commercials, and and, and his mom was very excitable. And I, I assume it was his mom. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who else it would have been. Um. Anyway. Yeah, it was that was exciting. That was a big deal. That was, you know, as, as well as you can kick off your major league career. But I also want to point out for Brett Beatty, he did something else that was even. I'm not going to say it was more notable than a home run in, in your first major league at bat, but it was in in a way it impressed me more, I guess. And that's this. I I retweeted about it earlier in the evening. This is a tweet from Anthony DeComo, who writes about the Mets for MLB.com. So, Brett Beatty, later in that game, had a ground out off a left-hander, Tyler Matzik. Beatty himself bats left-handed. The ball was hit 113 miles per hour no Mets left-handed hitter has hit a ball that hard since 2020 no Mets hitter has hit a ball that hard no Mets left-handed hitter has hit a ball that hard off a lefty in six years and Brett Beatty did it in his first game so when you're talking about upside power potential max exit velocity is in some ways it, it's, it's in some ways a better indicator than average exit velocity. And so to do that, you know, it's just an isolated event. I get that. But just to be capable of hitting that ball that hard, lefty on lefty, I think, is, uh, is a very good sign for him here at the start of his Major League career.
1: So that batted ball, Scott, that max EV of 113 miles per hour for Brett Beatty, in his first game now, place him in the 90th percentile in Major League Baseball in max exit velocity, mm. which again, coming off of lefty on lefty, that is very, yeah. very impressive for him. So I'm right there with you. He has moved up to 38% rostered. So from yesterday to the, to today, some people are obviously adding Brett Beatty. I think it makes a ton of sense. If you struggled with third base, if you need a corner infielder, if you are just chasing batting average, or you need a little bit of pop, I think if Brett Beatty hits his upside, those are the things that he can provide. and. Talked about where we were going to rank him on yesterday's podcast. Scott, I see you placed him as your 18th-ranked third baseman just behind Max Muncy, Josh Rojas, John Birdie, just ahead of names like Eugenio Suarez, Wilmer Flores, and Alec Bohm. The Alec Bohm one's kind of interesting because I know he's played really well over the past month and a half. Month, month and check a out, half. Check out his
0: August numbers. Uh, not, not so great.
1: Not so great? All right. Not so, so great. And even when he was going down.
0: great, it was pretty hollow. Hollow batting average, basically. Only eight home runs on the year from a corner infielder. Yeah. So, no, I like that. I would take Beatty over Boom.
1: Okay. A few other names you have him ranked ahead of. Justin Turner, Josh Donaldson, mm, Ryan McMahon. I saw someone tweeted us that they dropped Ryan McMahon for Brett Beatty. Like, yes, that's perfectly fine. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's a good spot to have him ranked. And go out and add him if you uh, need a bat. For Oh, I did want to mention... Also, like later on in the night, right? So yesterday we talked about Brett Beatty's promotion, and we also talked about Shea Langoliers, the catcher who got promoted by the Oakland A's. He also hits his first dong in his second game, you know, second major league game. So I just thought it was pretty cool. You know, like those prospects come up, you know, on the relatively same day, you know, same time, we'll call it. And uh, yeah, Shea Langoliers also hits a home run. So if you do need a catcher in two catcher leagues, please go out and add Shea Langoliers as well. For me, oh my goodness gracious, from Wednesday's action, Ross Stripling, in his first start back for the Toronto Blue Jays, was going up against the Baltimore Orioles. He took a no-hitter into the seventh inning. He goes six and a third shutout, one hit allowed, zero walks, seven strikeouts, 13 swinging strikes on 72 pitches. Just a fantastic ratio of whiffs in this game for him. And as we've said all season long, Ross Stripling continues to use his changeup more this season which has been a tremendous pitch for him 206 batting average against 31% whiff rate and now for the season Ross Stripling 293 ERA 286 FIP 353 x well below a strikeout branding. he's really providing more ratios than anything but you know he's giving you some quality starts good ground ball rate swinging strike rate is solid i just feel like maybe we haven't given Ross Stripling enough credit this year scott And he's 49% rostered. Some people might have dropped him when he went on the IL, but I think if he was dropped, you you probably want to change that and re-add him. What do you think?
0: (sighs) I don't know about... I don't know that I agree that we haven't given him enough credit because, yes, the ERA is good. The whip is good. How useful is he really? You say he's giving you some quality starts. Well, he really isn't. So this, this start, yes, was a quality start. He went six and a third. Five of his last seven starts have all been less than six. So only one of his previous six before this start was as much as six innings. So you know, it's it's a lot of like four and two thirds innings with without much damage being allowed. You know, I guess that makes stripling like Jeffrey Springs in a way. and and we you know we've we've been mostly positive about Springs. But I I feel like, you know, Springs is going to give you the strikeout per inning that Stripling isn't. And uh, in general, I would still stay. I I don't know exactly what the average innings per start is, but it it feels like in general, uh, Springs has been, you know, more consistently between five and six while Stripling is often even below five. And maybe that changes. I mean, maybe... I don't know. He's been he he hasn't been he hasn't spent time on the IL or anything recently, right? Tripling. Like no, yeah, he hasn't been getting stretched back out, has he? It's he, just they don't want him facing that lineup at the third time through, I guess.
1: I know this was his first start since July thirtieth. So yeah, I think he was on the IL just before this.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. obviously the 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 stat I gave before about five of seven starts less than six innings that was even before. That was before the IL stint.
1: Yeah, and he only threw 72 pitches in this start, so he was just incredibly efficient. And yeah, I mean, he's probably better from, I guess, in like a roto or category sense because he probably will not give you as much volume as I thought he actually was. Uh, It's early. We'll see You know what the schedule kind of bears out on tomorrow's podcast, but it looks like he might have two starts next week against the Angels and at the Boston Red Sox. This is Ross Stripling we're talking about, so if that is the case, I'm sure that he will be Uh, one of the more added starting pitchers this weekend. How does he compare to Nick Lodolo, who turned it back on here on Wednesday against the Phillies. He goes seven shutout with five hits, two walks, eight strikeouts, 16 swinging strikes on 98 pitches. The first seven-inning start of Lodolo's career, and he did make a conscious uh, pitch mix change in this one, too. He barely threw his changeup, like maybe one or two pitches total in this game. He upped his curveball usage to 34%. That was a season high. And it's been a really, really good pitch for him this year. 180 batting average against, a 46% whiff rate. Uh, Nick Lodolo's 54% rostered, Scott. I think we're still going to see inconsistency. His team context is bad. His uh, his ballpark context is bad. But if he throws this curveball more, maybe it could lead to more whiffs and more strikeouts moving forward. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think... I think Lodolo has shown that he has a ton of upside. There there have been some consistency issues, as you point out, walking four in each of his previous two starts. I mean, that's going to sabotage him as much as anything if he if he does that. So just, you know, keeping the ball in the strike zone, as you'd expect for a young left-handed pitcher, is uh is part of it is a major hurdle for for Nick Lodolo to clear. But you know then he comes along with a start like this and reminds you wow he could be he could be a significant asset if he could if he could just find a little more consistency uh because the upside is clearly there so you know compared to somebody like Stripling I the only reason I might it it might even be a close call is because we're in the middle of August so you can't afford you know, you can't afford to, to waste time on somebody who you're waiting to come around, you know? You kind of mm-hmm. need the production now. Yeah. Uh, but having said that, I'm not, I'm not confident in... Uh, I, I don't have enough confidence in, in Stripling's ability to deliver uh, useful outing after useful outing to give him the edge over Lodolo's... Lodolo with the upside. So I, I'd rather have somebody like Lodolo who, when he does go well, you can feel confident he's going to give you the six innings that you normally want to see from a starting pitcher who, who you're depending on in fantasy.
1: Scott, how do you rank these four waiver-wire pitchers? The past two days, I would say the two biggest standouts have been Justin Steele and Aaron Savali, you know, among pitchers who are widely available. Those two, along with Lodolo and Stripling, how do you rank those four?
0: I would go Lodolo first... Uh, I'll give Steele the edge over Stripling,
1: and then Savale last. Already. I think that's a very fine ranking, Scott. Um,
0: both well, what Lido- would you do,
1: Frank? Well, Would yours be different? Mm, no, I would have Lodolo at the top. Lodolo, Steel. I think I think Stripling and Savali are probably very similar pitchers when they're going right, but... There's been a lot obviously a lot better production from stripling this year than Somali. So yeah, I would I I would take him as well Yeah, I think that's that's the right ranking Um, both Lodolo and stripling were part of Two different pitchers duels. So we'll start with uh, the game that Lodolo was a part of on the other side Ranger Suarez was also fantastic. He was obviously at the Reds seven shutout with eight strikeouts of his own and I noticed that his Um, sinker usage was down in this one, his cutter usage was up, and cutter has been a good pitch for Suarez, and that's really kind of aligned with since he's returned. It was actually one start before he got hurt. Ranger Suarez started throwing this cutter more, but in six starts since returning now, Ranger Suarez, 103 ERA, 33 33 strikeouts to just eight walks, over 35 and a third, and his ground ball rate back up to 59% during that time. Swinging strike rate, 12.3%. He's eighty-three percent rostered, Scott. So, uh, you know, I don't think he's really available anywhere. But, I, I kind of feel like we're getting Ranger Suarez from the final two months of last year, again this time of year.
0: Yeah, I mean, all the underlying numbers would suggest that's the case. Not to mention the overlying numbers. I guess uh, I, I'm. I'd, I'd make sure. I'd make sure he was not still available in my league. And, and you mentioned that he's rostered in, in more than 80% of CBS Sports Leagues, which is normally the cutoff I use for something like waiver wire, or sleeper pitchers or whatever. But, you know, 80% in CBS Sports Leagues translates to like 40 on some other major uh, fantasy baseball provider sites. So keep that in mind. Just, just check. Just check and be sure because I, I think Suarez is going to be a pretty good option for you down the stretch. I'm I'm not gonna go as far as say must start or anything like that, but somebody who's worth having on your roster. Let's see, where would he fit with that previous group? I still think I'd take Nick Lodolo over him, but I'd take him I'd take Suarez over Justin Steele as second of that group.
1: I think Ranger Suarez, the way he's pitching right now, is probably going to be more consistent than Nick Lodolo. So yeah. it might depend on your team context. Like if you just need strikeouts, I, I think Lodolo will give you more, but Probably more volatility yeah. as well. So that that's fair.
0: And again, given how late it is in the year, I guess I'm just a little hesitant to, to say Suarez over Lodolo because even though okay, we saw what he did at the end of last year and, and the underlying numbers are starting to look like that again. Like that that doesn't necessarily mean history's going to repeat itself and he's going to uh can continue with with these recent trends like I, I think it's a mistake to just assume that so there's still volatility there with Ranger Suarez just mm-hmm. like there is with Lodolo but a little less yeah I mean anytime you get a ground ball rate that high that you're gonna you're working you're dealing with less volatility
1: and just to clarify I, I don't think that Ranger Suarez is doing this just because it's the end of the season and he did it last year too it's just as you yeah. pointed out Scott it's like the underlying numbers show that he's actually pitching much better than he was earlier on in the season. Uh, On the other side of Ross Tripling in that game, also a pitcher's duel, Tripling was great. Austin Voth, another really strong start. He was at the Blue Jays. Six shutout, two hits, one walk, three strikeouts in this one. He had 10 swinging strikes on 86 pitches. And he, if StatCast is correct, he threw a new slider in the start 12% of the time. It's a pitch he has not used all season. In fact, he hasn't used it since 2019. So... I thought it was notable, and over his last five starts, Austin Voth, 2.24 ERA, right around a strikeout per inning, 11.3% swinging strike rate. He's 5% rostered. Scott, this is more of like a deeper league play, Uh, and speaking of deeper leagues, I'll just kind of lump them in with these two. Drew Smiley had another solid start at the Nationals, and over his last six starts, he's got a 2.61 ERA and a 13% swinging strike rate, and Herman Marquez now has a quality start in six of his last seven outings. Wasn't it? It was like a bare minimum quality start for Herman Marquez at the Cardinals, but he has pitched much better over his last seven starts as well. So, in deeper league, Scott, how do you rank those three? Marquez, Smiley, Austin Voth.
0: They're all pretty interesting, and it might depend on the format. Like, I think I think Marquez should clearly be the top option in a points league, where you don't worry so much about. You you know, the the fact that the quality start was barely a quality start, that was a 450 ERA, you know. uh, that The 450 ERA would hurt you in a categories league, but just the fact he gave you a quality start counts for a lot in a points league. So he gives you the volume. Uh, Marquez gives you the volume that maybe these other two pitchers don't. Uh, Between Voth and Smiley... I'm kind of starting to warm up to both. I mean, it's easy to say that when he's only five percent rostered. I mean that there that leaves you with a a big margin for error, because I mean, who doesn't deserve to be rostered in five percent of leagues, right? But swinging strike rate is decent, and he looks like another one of the the those pitchers the Orioles have had success with this year—the big fly ball guys who, you know, you might normally expect them to be uh, undone by home runs, but just it's become, Camden Yards has become such a difficult place to hit home runs, particularly for right-handed hitters. And and what's interesting about both is, okay, so his last three starts, he's allowed a a combined two earned runs on seven hits and three starts, right? So that's like a little more than two hits per start. What's interesting is all of them have been on the road. You know so i I think, given his profile, his bat a ball profile, you could make the case, okay, Voth could be one of those pitchers who just performs abnormally well at Camden yards, but it, like he's been getting it done on the road, so i there may be something here with Voth for you know i I don't know how deep the league would have to be for me to actually take a flyer on him at this point, but i'm I'm intrigued, I'm intrigued by Austin Voth.
1: I think fifteen team mixed roto leagues, five percent rostered, he's gotta be out there in some of those. So I, I think, you know, there there's gonna be a lot of teams chasing pitching this time of year. And uh I, I think both can can potentially be someone that can help you out. I will point I, out go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was, was gonna, gonna
0: change I was gonna change the subject a little bit. So you finish <laughs> you finish your thought first.
1: I was just gonna wrap up with Drew Smiley. I noticed his velocity was up quite a bit. His sinker velo was up 1.4 miles per hour in this start. He averaged 93.6 miles per hour on the pitch. That was his most since September 22nd of 2020. And Herman Marquez, I mentioned recently that his velocity has been up. That has remained. His fastball was up nearly two miles per hour. In this one, his slider, 1.6 miles per hour. So, you know, there are changes. Velocity's up, and these guys are pitching well. Go ahead, Scott.
0: So... As I was mentioning, as we've mentioned, with these Orioles pitchers who we don't think are very good, Dean Kramer, uh Spencer Watkins, uh, who's the other guy? Uh Tyler, Tyler Wells, right? And uh and Austin both. You know, they're finding success as big fly ball guys in what's now a very big park. You know who that bodes well for? John
1: means business
0: exactly because <laughs> he is way more talented than any of those guys also a big fly ball pitcher and uh, teams would be even more inclined to load the lineup with righties against him because he's left hander so like John Means is going to be look I don't know that he's going to be ready on opening day last next year he's recovering from Tommy John surgery but he should be ready pretty early and you know if you're in like a dynasty league or something maybe we're stashing him away if he's out there
1: Mm. Well, I just quickly checked to see if he was uh, available in the Scott White Dynasty League, but guess who has of him?
0: No. Of course not, Frank. Scotty
1: Dubs has him. <laughs> one last pitcher duel that I wanted to mention. Uh, no waiver wire pitchers in this one, but it was a great matchup. Tony Gonsolin at Eric Lauer. Gonsolin goes seven shutout with eight strikeouts in this one. His first seven-inning start since July 7th. And then Eric Lauer, he also goes seven innings, two runs, seven strikeouts for him. And his last eight starts, Eric Lauer has a 2.87 ERA, 43 strikeouts over 47 and a third innings pitched. However, the swinging strike rate is only 9.4 percent. The ERA estimators don't really buy into it, Scott. I look, if there was a league where you could still trade players, I would say sell high on Eric Lauer while well, you can. But just realize, moving forward, he might not be this good.
0: Might not be. Yeah, but then again, like this is kind of who he was in the second half last year, right? That was before True. before he introduced the zoomer, <laughs> which is what he was calling that faster fastball at the start of the year, right? It's 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 regressed. But you know, last second half he was uh let me see if I can pull up the second half numbers for Eric Lauer real quick. And uh that was that. that was before. He enjoyed that uh, big jump in fastball velocity. So second half last year, uh, Eric Lauer had a 260 ERA and uh, right at a strikeout per inning. And he, that that kind of feels like the way he's been going here recently. So I don't know. He may be one of those abnormalities that uh, – You know, just by virtue of how many fly balls he allows, the X FIP's gonna be high. Uh, I I realize the FIP is high as well, because he gives up a fair share, his fair share of home runs, but he just may be uh, good at limiting hits apart from that. Yeah. I mean low Babip each of the last two years. So that, that may be something he has a knack for.
1: Okay, fair enough. That is Eric Lauer. Let's talk about a few hitters because we've talked about a lot of pitching and some waiver wire standouts. Scott, the legend of Vaughn Grissom just continues to grow, and I realize, you know, legend, he's played eight games so far, but I'm starting to get the feeling that he might be one of the league winners this season. And, you know, there's a few players every year that emerge down the stretch. Ranger Suarez was one of them last year. That they just carry your team. You pick them up, you know, maybe you have low expectations, but they they ultimately help carry your team. Vaughn Grissom, he just kind of looks like that right now. He went two for four with his second steal of the season. He now has multiple hits in five of his first eight games. He's batting 414 during the stretch. Again, small sample. You know, the next eight games, he could fall flat on his face. I don't think that's going to happen. What I've seen from him so far, the way that he carries himself, his approach, ability to make contact, power, speed, great lineup. He's 73% rostered, Scott. I, that number needs to be higher. I mean, we got a like, universally rostered Vaughn Grissom.
0: Yeah, I had trouble ranking him in my latest update. So, second base and shortstop are deeper than third base. We mentioned I had Brett Beatty at 18th at third base. Grissom, I have 22nd at both second and shortstop. And that's that didn't feel quite right, but, you know that that's right in the same range as Brendan Rodgers, who's been like a 315 hitter since April, you know? So it's it's just it's just hard to to sort those guys out. Uh but if you're looking for the upside play, certainly if you want somebody with speed, then yeah, Grissom is an interesting choice. And I agree with you. Like I'd worry more if strikeouts were had had been an issue for him in the minors or have been an issue for him so far in the majors and he succeeded in spite of it. You know, if it was like a Christopher Morrell situation where it's like, I don't know if he can avoid striking out 30% of the time forever. But, uh, you know, in the minors this year, uh, Von Grissom had struck out like 12% of the time. And it was similar last year too. Like contact, making contact is, is maybe the single thing he does Best, and sometimes you know when those guys transition to the majors, there's just not enough impact there to, for the, for the contact to to play up. But there certainly seems to be in Grissom's case, so I'm I'm pretty bullish on him myself. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens when Ozzy Albies comes back. He's uh, set to take batting practice apparently, so he could be back within a week to ten days. Uh, Marcelo Zuna's kind of gotten bumped from the lineup. He was out of it for a third consecutive game. Yep. Uh, Robbie Grossman's been getting more playing time. That might make for an easy path for Grissom, just transitioning to left field. But he's he has no experience there. I, I imagine he could handle it well enough. I feel like shortstops, natural shortstops can play most anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I just, I don't know. I don't know how, um, I don't know, I don't know if the Braves will feel the same way.
1: yeah. I mean, we, I'm waiting for that update over the next couple of days that says Vaughn Grissom is taking fly balls in the outfield in preparation of Ozzy Albee's returning because yeah. they have to figure this out. But uh, you're right. I mean, they're already starting to do it with Ozuna. I think they just want to put their best product on the field. And if Grissom keeps playing like this, he is going to be part of that product. So they will figure it out, I'm sure. But yeah, if he's available in your league, please go add Vaughn Grissom. Nolan Gorman went two for four with three RBI here on Wednesday. Wednesday, and over his last 13 games, he is batting 341 with four homers, 11 runs, hitting the ball very hard, putting it in the air. The problem, Scott, is that these 13 games have been very scattered because he's playing every other game, basically, right now. He's 63% rostered. Cardinals have eight games next week. But I don't know that this number needs to be higher. As well as Gorman is playing, I think they're kind of picking and choosing their spots wisely when they're playing him.
0: Yeah, I moved him down in my latest rankings update. He's below Grissom, well below Grissom, actually. And I agree with you. The playing time just isn't consistent enough. It would have to be... It would probably have to be like a daily lineup league where you're specifically trying to catch up in home runs. That's where Gorman would be the most useful.
1: (laughs) That's a very specific set of rules to pick up a player, but you're right. It probably does make the most sense in that format. Cal Cal Raleigh went two for four with a double dong and three RBI. He's quietly having a a very good catcher season. He's kind of the Mike Zanino, I guess of this year, not nearly as much power.
0: (laughs) No, that's, that's actually what I was thinking too. When I looked at the data because Cal Raleigh, Cal Raleigh, did I say that right? Yeah. It's like the capital of North Carolina. Um, he's uh he's been hitting for power he also has like a 30 percent strikeout rate and a ridiculous fly ball rate so it's it's like all or nothing for him and, and that's why his batting average is around 200 and yeah i think mike zunino is an apt comparison
1: would you rather have cal raleigh or shea langoliers right now
0: langoliers take a shot on the unknown all he right through two games langoliers has a double and a home run he also has five strikeouts I believe so that's a little disconcerting
1: (laughs) the last three names here on the list more so for deeper leagues but Oscar Gonzalez we've mentioned a lot recently two for five with two doubles and two RBI he is 26% rostered Christian Arroyo has worked his way into everyday playing time at second base for the Red Sox I'm not sure that we'll see Trevor story again I I feel like there's been rumblings that he's kind of doing some things on the field again so we'll see about that but Arroyo went three for five with a double and three RBI. He's 4% rostered. He has quadruple eligibility, second, third shortstop in outfield. And Robbie Grossman, I'm not saying you need to add him, but in deeper leagues, let's just see where this goes. Back to back games with a homer. We saw what Grossman could do last year, playing every day, 2020. And mm-hmm. it's a really good lineup. So don't have to add it him may, yet. It, like, but-
0: it, it may not be for long if, yeah. if we're thinking Grissom's going to move to the outfield, but. But yeah, they were talking on the broadcast about how he, uh, he's made some adjustments to his swing. I can't remember the specifics of it, but you know, the, for our purposes, all that really matters is changes were happening that ha- have now preceded an increase in production and an increase in playing time. So that, I agree, it makes, it makes Grossman at least worth monitoring for the next week or so.
1: Scott, do you think Gonzalez, Oscar Gonzalez, needs to be more than twenty-six percent rostered? And the same question for Arroyo—he's at four percent.
0: Yeah, I think Oscar Gonzalez is one of the most under rostered players, given the quality of contact and, you know, pretty good amount of contact too. And that's a good combination. Doesn't walk at all, and, and so, you know, at some point pitchers could learn to exploit that. But I think I think Oscar Gonzalez is underperformed in home runs so far. Given what the data looks like. And we've seen with Vinny Pasquantino, right, how quickly that can turn around. Uh, not so keen on Arroyo. And I just don't think there's enough upside there. And I don't think Trevor's story is going to be out for long. Kind of annoyed Arroyo's doing so well because I'd hope <laughs> to see and N- Manuel Valdez. Well, Story was sidelined, but doesn't seem like that's gonna happen now.
1: Mm-hmm. I picked up Christian Arroyo in one of my 15 team roto leagues, and just given his eligibility and you know the context of the team that he plays on, it's a, it's a good ballpark to hit in. Um, I think in a league that deep, obviously his versatility does help. Scott, you mentioned the guy, Vinny Pasquantino. Before we get into him, it's obviously it's a terrible question. Like who would ask this, right? Like who is your favorite kid, Scott? If you had to choose, I would never ask you that, but I will ask you the fantasy version of that. So if you had to choose one of these two, only one, Vinny Pasquantino, who went two for four. And is now batting three eighty two with five home runs in August, or Jose Miranda, who went two for four and hit his twelfth home run of the season? Who do you like more? I can pick pretty easily. It's Vinny Pasquantino. What? Yeah. Damn, you really yeah. love this guy.
0: I do. Yeah, <laughs> I think the qu- the quality of contacts better, the amount of contacts better. He walks a lot, and Miranda doesn't. You now, Miranda has third base eligibility for now, but I don't think he's going to retain that. I mean, you know, kind of a different conversation next year, but I don't think – I think Miranda's going to be just first base like Pasquan – oh, no. He's gotten enough time to third base. Scratch that last point. But, but yeah, I, I do prefer Pasquantino. And by the way, I think you can pick your favorite kid. I, this, was a, this was a point Adam Azer <laughs> always used to make. Here's the thing, though. It changes constantly. Okay. Uh, You have a favorite in the moment, and then you know, and then it switches around.
1: Yeah, depends on the day, you know. Who's being nice to you? Who's you know? Who's doing good in school? I guess it's. I don't have that problem. I have you know one cat and a wife, so I I I guess I could choose between them, but it's pretty easy decision for me, at least for now. Uh, Let's take. I,
0: (laughs) I should hope so.
1: Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back right after this. The news and notes. Mike Trout hopes to return on Friday. He's been sidelined for a month with a rib injury, which turned out to be a rare back condition. And we knew he was taking batting practice, but this, you know, just kind of popped up out of nowhere. So I hope he returns Friday, and I hope he's Mike Trout. On uh, Bryce Harper took batting practice on Wednesday. We'll do so again later this week. And he could start a rehab assignment next Tuesday. I've seen September 1st kind of floated out there for Bryce Harper, so... Would be a nice boost for the final month of the season. Ozzie Albies is expected to ramp up his progression of baseball activities next week. He's been out since mid-June with a broken right foot. Tyler Malley left his start on Wednesday with right shoulder fatigue and he's set to undergo an MRI. Scott, correct me if I'm wrong, but Malley missed time earlier this season also with a shoulder injury, right?
0: He missed time with something. I can't remember if it was the shoulder or not. I think so. His velocity was down like four miles per hour.
1: Oh, geez.
0: Yeah. Uh, but they seem to think it's not going to be like a long-term absence. So uh, let's see. Yeah, so he, was, he missed about two weeks in July with a strained shoulder.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, kind of stinks because he, <laughs> we finally get him out of Cincinnati and, and now he's hurt. The Yankees are expected to use both Aroldis Chapman and Scott Efros in a closer by committee. Now that Clay Holmes has been placed on the IL and Scott F Ross, I believe he pitched a ninth inning here on Wednesday and it was a scoreless effort. And then our oldest Chapman, as I mentioned earlier, uh, he came in in extra innings. He gave up a three run double to Francisco Mejia. So obviously not great from him. Tarek Skubal underwent successful flexor tendon surgery on his left elbow on Wednesday. Uh, We know that he is missing the rest of the season, obviously with that issue. Joey Votto will also miss the rest of the season. He is undergoing surgery on Friday to address a torn rotator cuff in his left shoulder. Matt Reynolds started at first base and was batting cleanup against a left-handed pitcher here on Wednesday. I don't know that it fully explains why Joey Votto has been so bad this year. Obviously, he's pretty old, but... If this is something he's been playing through for a while, it would make sense as to why he struggled. Eduardo Rodriguez will return on Sunday and start against the Angels. He is thirty one percent rostered. Scott, how interested in you are at, in adding Erod? Moderately.
0: because okay. ha- He has looked good on his rehab assignment, and I think he was a consensus what top fifty, top sixty pitcher coming into the season. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, let's see, compared to some of the other pitchers we've talked about today.
1: Would you take him over any of Savali, Stripling, mm-hmm. Steel, Lodolo?
0: Not Lodolo, but I think I'd take I'd pick up Rodriguez over any of those others.
1: Yeah. That's probably right. Yeah, I agree with that. He might be better than Lodolo too, but obviously he's very hit or miss that Eduardo Rodriguez. Marcelo Zuna, we mentioned earlier he has sat three straight games all against right-handed pitchers. They seem to really want to get William Contreras' bat in the lineup, and he went three for four with two runs scored here. So that only helps William Contreras. Scott, where are you at in terms of dropping Marcelo Ozuna right now?
0: Oh, I think he can drop him. I think yeah. he can drop him. He's if he's not gonna play every day and, and look, you were giving him a lot of benefit of the doubt. I guess we as in everybody who plays fantasy baseball is giving him a lot of benefit of the doubt holding him onto him uh, given his production up to this point. So I might hesitate in five outfielder leagues just because it's it's obviously hard to find enough viable outfielders in that format. Maybe the Braves have a change of heart, but I think in three outfielder leagues, Marcelo Zun is very droppable.
1: All right. Enrique Hernandez looks to be the starting center fielder moving forward for the Red Sox, which obviously means Jaron Duran is on the outside looking in. Okay, Brian Hayes is expected to rejoin the Pirates after spending the minimum 10 days on the IL. Eduardo Rodri- uh, Eduardo Escobar excuse me, was officially placed on the IL with a strained left oblique, and Aledmus Diaz was also placed on the IL with a left groin injury. These players were out again on Wednesday. Luis Robert has missed five straight with a sprained left wrist, and I think I just saw that he got some kind of injection. Yeah, he received an injection, so probably some kind of cortisone to help him out there. Uh, we'll see when Luis Robert can return. Cattell Marte has been out three straight with a hamstring, but I did see him getting at bat, so maybe in as a pinch hitter. DJ Lemayhu has missed four straight with a toe inflammation, he also had a pinch hit appearance, and Cody Bellinger has been out the past two games for, quote, a mental break, not sure it will help, some prospect promotions that I wanted to mention, Scott, your boy, Stone Garrett, he got the call, and like one of the coolest names, right, <laughs> like Stone Garrett, how, how do you get better than that, right, uh, I know we talked about him earlier in the year, in one of our FBT and 5 episodes, and he was crushing in the minors. There's no doubt about it. Two seventy five batting average, 28 homers, 15 steals, a 900 OPS. I think I saw he got a hit off of, uh, Carlos Rodon here in his first game. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, what do you think about him, Scott? And are you looking to add him anywhere?
0: No, not at this point. Uh, compared to some other recent call-ups like, Kerry Carrie Carpenter of the Tigers, I'd rather have him. Stone Garrett has had a productive season at triple A. It's a, Plays in a favorable place to hit. He's 26, I believe, so old for the level. And he doesn't walk a lot. So I'd be... Yeah, I mean, two doubles in his debut, that's nice to see. But I'd be a little surprised if he ends up being uh, somebody who's viable in standard fantasy leagues. And it's a little disappointing to see him get called up, actually, because... You know we're hoping to see Corbin Carroll before the before the end of the season if they're giving guys like Stone Garrett an opportunity to to solidify left field first yeah. you know it make, makes me wonder if that's going to happen
1: yeah i mean i know that our buddy the welsh has you know been out there saying he he thinks corbin carroll can get the call and there's there's been reports oh, he, that
0: he's it, not the only one yeah yeah
1: I, i've seen it around but i just don't know how much sense it makes with the d-backs really not playing for much right like Maybe you want to get his feet underneath him for the start of next year, but you know why? Why start the service time if if you don't have to, right? I mean, obviously I want to see him, but I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate, I guess, for uh, for the Diamondbacks. Uh, another prospect was called up here on Wednesday. Not a huge prospect by any means, Oswaldo Cabrera with the. New York Yankees, the wrong Oswald that we're looking for for the Yankees, by the way. Well, one's Oswald and one's Oswaldo. This is right. Oswaldo. Yes, and he was batting two sixty-nine in the minors with nine homers, 13 steals, and eight fifty-one OPS. I'm not sure that he will play every day, Scott. I know he had a little bit more pop in the minors last year. He's a switch hitter. Mm-hmm. He puts the ball in the air, which obviously could play in Yankee Stadium. But uh, what do you think about him? And I don't know, any deeper mixed league relevance?
0: Yeah, it's hard to know what to make of Oswaldo Cabrera because the numbers were great last year between double and triple-A. 29 homers, 21 steals. It's kind of a breakout season for him. And yet, coming off that season, the scouting reports coming into this year were still pretty lackluster. Like, Baseball America gave him a 40-grade hit tool, which is uh, not good. Nope. And the power tool, I think, was only like 50, which, you know, is like average. Nothing. Nothing to write home about. Uh I, I will also point out, though, that Oswaldo Cabrera, after returning from a shoulder injury, uh, cost him the entire month of June. He had hit 333 with eight homers, eleven steals, and a 1046 OPS in 30 games at AAA. So he had been red hot. Mm. And he is going to Yankee Stadium, which seems like would suit his skill set. You know, if there are questions about how legitimate the power is, uh, that that venue would help with that. But then, like, where is he going to play? Yeah, because the Yankees have a full infield already, so it it might be sporadic playing time for Oswaldo Cabrera. So, long story short, uh, the numbers make him make make it so I can't write him off. But I, I you know, kind of like I was saying for Stone Garrett, I'd be surprised if Oswaldo Cabrera is a, uh, you know, like a twelve team contributor this year.
1: And I, I think we are getting close to. Oswald Peraza getting the call. You know, if they're willing to take a shot on some of these other prospects, I mean, he has been, Peraza, by the way, has been really, really good since the start of June. I know he got off to a really slow start, but from June 1st on, I'm looking at his monthly production. He's hit over 300 each of those months. He's got 12 homers and 18 steals during that time. So, uh, Oswald Peraza, Just a name to remember, he could be up soon with the New York Yankees. Before we get into the rankings, risers, and fallers, I did just want to show some love, Scott, to Jose Altuve, who, kudos to you, I know you've been on him for the past two years when a lot of other people have been undervaluing him in drafts, and out of nowhere, I didn't even realize he was running this much. He had two steals here on Wednesday. He now has 12 steals total for the season, and you look at his ADP coming into the year, it was 56 He's currently the 46th overall player. So he's outperforming that. And mind you, he's missed some time this year, too. So keep that, uh, take that into account as well. Last year, Jose Altuve was the, he had an ADP of 92.3. That's according to NFBC uh, historical ADP data. He finished as the 30th best player in fantasy baseball last year overall. So just wanted Hmm. to give him a shout out. You know, Scott, I mean, 32 years old, people, I guess, are kind of waiting for it to fall off, but. It is not happening. And Altuve still leads off for one of, if not the best lineup in baseball in the Houston Astros. So um
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he's gonna be get back to being a a valid contributor of stolen bases, I mean, that's I I what did you, what did you say he ranks in, in roto leagues this year? Top 50?
1: Forty sixth overall 46. And, and that's with him missing time.
0: Yeah. And I don't treat that sort of thing as gospel anyway because it's a you know, it's a bit it can't fully account for the specific needs of your team, which is, of course, important in roto leagues because you're 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 really having, you know, ten different competitions. Um, so it it you know it kind of depends on the makeup of your team, really, how valuable a player is, right? I, I think given the current state of second base, there there are like three standout second basemen in fantasy. I guess when Ozzy Albies returns, it'll be four, uh, and. Jose Altuve is one of them. So if he's going to be a viable base stealer again, combined 13 steals the past three seasons, already 12 this year, then I think you can make the case for him as early as round two next year.
1: And there is zero chance he will be a second round pick, Scott. I know. No chance at all. Say he continues to climb, he finishes as a top 40 player. Frankly... I would be surprised if he was even a third round pick next year, just because he's climbing in age. People will find a say a reason to say, well, look at his stack data. He doesn't hit, it doesn't matter. <laughs> he takes yeah. advantage of the short I mean, porch. That's, that's
0: always been the case. For yeah. Him.
1: It's just like Jose Altuve just keeps getting it done. So, you know, if mm-hmm. he's like a borderline top 40 player drafted next year, he's probably going to be a value once again, one of these years. Sure. He'll slow down, but at 32 years old, he just doesn't really show any signs as of now. So, just wanted to give Jose Altuve some props. He's been awesome. Some of the rankings, risers, and fallers here for Scotty. We'll start with the risers. He's got Luis Castillo up to SP12. I know you mentioned on yesterday's podcast you had him around 15 or 16. So now uh, back end SP1 in Luis Castillo. Andres Jimenez is your 14th ranked second baseman. Blake Snell, I saw you moved him up to SP51. I actually have him up at SP41. Maybe I'm drinking the Blake Snell Kool-Aid a little bit too much. And then Josh Rojas, you have as your 16th ranked third baseman. Of course, he has multiple eligibilities, shortstop, outfield. He's probably the most useful at third base, if we're being honest. And uh, he did pick up a 17th stolen base here on Wednesday. Um, last 28 days for Josh Rojas. He's the sixth best third baseman in points leagues, fifth best in category leagues. Uh, anything you'd like to add on those four, Scott? Castillo, Jimenez, Snell, and Rojas.
0: Yeah, I mean, on Rojas, it's it, it it, it's kind of caught me by surprise just how useful he's been. He's taken over as my third baseman in the podcast league, the longstanding podcast league, 12-team points. Uh, and, and you'd think, okay, with 16 steals, clearly this guy is valuable in Roto. But yeah, like you mentioned, he has been delivering in points leagues as well for the season Uh, Josh Rojas If the page loads fast enough 2.85 head to head points per game that puts him I think a little outside the top 12 but like right behind Bobby Witt Bobby Witt's basically averaged the same amount of points per game as Josh Rojas wow Uh, so that's that's that one Yeah. As we've said a few times with Luis Castillo, it seems like he has taken that next step that we kept waiting for him to take and kept kind of giving him the benefit of the doubt, ranking him as a top 12 pitcher going into the year. And then he kept falling short of it, but I, I think he's put it all together now, emphasizing that four seam fastball more kind of playing it and the two seam are off each other. Well, and, uh, and yeah, I can only come up with 11 starting pitchers I trust more than him right now. Uh, you mentioned Blake Snell, 51st. I, I actually have him 47th mm. in Roto. Okay. I'm not sure which four pitchers I have ahead and head-to-head points. But which, yeah, I mean, which makes sense
1: because Snell, I know he's gone deeper into his starts recently, but you know, it's not something that we could usually depend on him for.
0: Yeah, and the strikeouts are more valuable in Roto than points leagues as well. Yep. and that, That's what he does best. Yeah, and and for Andres Jimenez, I mentioned that he's been one of the quietest breakout players this year, so I wanted to give him credit for that. Uh, The changes for him. Basically, he's doubled his barrel rate. He's gotten the ball off the ground more this year. He's cut his strikeout rate by five percentage points. Big improvement there. So just kind of improving in all ways as a hitter, and it's added up to significant production. And, you know, the biggest... Stat of all for him is he's 23, and it's been around for a couple years, but he's still a baby. So I think uh, I think that's a good sign for Andres Jimenez's future as well.
1: You know, Scott, it's kind of been a good year for those Frank hopefuls, like those deep yeah. league names I would bring up, like Nate Low and Andres Jimenez. Just guys, I I was always hoping would come around, and it's it's kind of happening for both of them. So shout
0: out that's to those. true. Guys. Yeah, that's true. They were both your guys coming in.
1: Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I've got to find some new guys, I guess, that uh, that I want to break out for next year. Uh, the Fallers, you've got Joe Musgrove, who is now your 17th-ranked starting pitcher, Whitmerry Field down to your 11th-ranked second baseman, JD Martinez at outfielder 36, and Jeremy Pena at shortstop 27. Um, JD Martinez, I want to point out, has not hit a home run since July 10th and he only has nine home runs on the season. And with Jeremy Pena, Scott, I could see him still being viable as a middle infielder in category leagues because you know that format's a little bit deeper. But from a points league perspective, he does not walk. And I have no issues dropping him for someone like Vaughn Grissom, if someone has that question.
0: Yeah, his on-base percentage is down to 289 mm. for the year. And since, it was a short IL stint. I can't remember what it was for in, in June. Since returning from that, Jeremy Peña is hitting 216 with a 595 OPS. Ugh. So he is his promising rookie season has really gone in the tank here. Uh yeah, you mentioned the the collapse in power for JD Martinez with Merrifield. We talked about yesterday, how he's he's not quite an everyday player with the Blue Jays, and that is going to hurt his value significantly because His value was so tied to just how often he played in Kansas City. And Joe Musgrove, you know, I I was having a difficult time reconciling him and Zach Gallen in my rankings because if you compare their numbers side by side, very, very similar. You know, Joe Musgrove, he was sustaining an ERA below two for so long that I think it kind of artificially boosted him in my rankings, but he doesn't strike out a batter per inning even. And I still have him like 15 spots apart. I still don't feel great about it. Of course, I've, I've discussed my discomfort with Zach Gallon all season long. He plays for a significantly worse team, which uh, helps justify the gap between the two of my rankings. But I'd still like to get them even closer because it just doesn't make sense that they're that far apart. But I moved, I moved, uh, I consciously moved Musgrove down a little more and Gallon up a little more when I noticed how similar their stats are, like I said.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we, it's probably a combination of maybe we've overvalued Musgrove and, and we've undervalued uh, Zach Allen all season long. Like, you know, we're just waiting for him to get hurt, but it's not happening. He's he's pitching well. That curveball looks amazing. So, uh, yeah. Zach Allen getting it done this year. A few leftovers from Wednesday's action. We'll start with the hitting leftovers. Jesse Winker went one for three with two walks and his 13th home run over his last 15 games. He's hitting 261, which isn't great, but he's got five home runs during that time. He's hitting the ball very hard, 92.5 mile per hour average exit velocity and putting the ball in the air. So in deeper leagues, you know, five outfielder leagues, you know, maybe let's not drop Jesse Winker yet because he is showing some signs. Shohei Otani went four for five with a triple and his 27th home run. He also added four RBI. Manny Machado went two for four with a double, a walk, and a run scored. He now has eight straight multi-hit games, and his batting average is up to 305. Shout out to Manny Machado. He's awesome. Starling Marte went three for four with a double dong, and he has really got his season on track as well. He's hitting 292 overall, 14 homers, 15 steals, 67 runs scored. It's just Starling Marte things. I think maybe you wish for a little bit more speed than the 15 steals, but I don't think you'll complain about that overall production. Jeff McNeil, three for four with a double and a run scored. I meant to write down his second half numbers. Didn't get to it, but he has been much better um, so far over the past month or so. Sean Murphy went three for five with a double dong. He's now up to 16 home runs. And Max Muncie went one for four with his 15th homer. And he continues to uh, to be on a torrid stretch here as well, Scott. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if you've read anything or maybe he's just finally healthy or whatever it might be but I mean he's, he's yeah.
0: clearly impacting the ball harder yeah but and, and yeah I haven't I haven't read an explanation for why he's imp- like the he's impacting the ball harder so that's the explanation for why the production has improved but what's the explanation for why he's impacting the ball harder I don't know
1: yeah might just be healthy um yeah. for max Muncie pitching leftovers Jordan Montgomery has now allowed one earned run Total in three starts with the Cardinals. He was up against the Rockies, five and two thirds, one run allowed, eight strikeouts. That's back-to-back starts with exactly eight strikeouts for him. After a rough five-start stretch for Corey Kluber, he bounced back at the Yankees. Revenge game, six innings, two runs, eight strikeouts there. Framber Valdez makes it 20 straight quality starts. He was at the White Sox. Seven innings, two runs for him, six strikeouts in that one. And Carlos Rodon was awesome once again up against the Diamondbacks. Six innings, one run, 11 strikeouts, including 19 swinging strikes. The velocity was down quite a bit. Fastball VLO down two miles per hour in this one. He averaged just 93.7 on the fastball, which ties a season low. But it's hard to be concerned. It's hard to be concerned when he has 11 strikeouts in a game. So, yeah. I don't really well, know what too. to make of that.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I know you mentioned it ties the season low. So, he did have a start uh, Carlos Rodon where his average fastball velocity was exactly this on June 28th and bounced back from it just fine. And and yeah, as you said, he dominated in spite of the velocity this time. So, it's it's hard to get too worked up about it. I do also want to comment on Jordan Montgomery because, remember, we had some hope uh, when he was traded to the Cardinals. Oh, maybe they can maybe they can tweak his arsenal in a way that allows him to start getting more strikeouts. And and so back-to-back starts with a really good strikeout rate. And the reason we were hopeful is Jordan Montgomery, he has the 10th best swinging strike rate among qualifiers. Like, he's up there with some serious batmists or serious strikeout guys. Uh, so why doesn't he get... Big strikeout totals. Well, I've noticed in these last two starts, he has changed his arsenal a little, thrown a lot more four-seamers. He threw four-seamers only like 10% of the time with the Yankees, and he threw it, I think, uh, 26% of the time in this start. And and back-to-back starts with a lot more four-seamers for Montgomery. And what's weird about it is it's not like that's a great swing and miss pitch for him, but maybe it's allowing him to set up hitters better? I I don't know. Something to keep an eye on because... At least for two starts, it's working.
1: Two pitchers who were going up against each other who actually struggled quite a bit here. Mike Clevenger did not have much at the Marlins. Four and a third. He gave up three runs, six hits, four walks. Really bad whip in this one. And Pablo Lopez's struggles continue against the Padres. Four and two thirds, six runs allowed. Over his last 10 starts, he has a 5.81 ERA. And I think typically, Scott, we would just, you know, blanket statement, bench Pablo Lopez it looks like he's facing the Oakland A's next week, so I don't know. Maybe maybe you start him for that one.
0: Yeah, I don't think I can. I don't think I can. He's done so much harm. And he's had, you know, he's, he's had decent starts mixed in there. His previous start against the Braves, it was an out short of a quality start, but the overall line was decent. But there's just been so much damage done. I feel like Pablo Lopez is uh almost unstartable right now. I wouldn't blame you if you started him against Oakland, but I'd, I'd rather not.
1: All right, the call to the bullpen for the Phillies. Sir Anthony Dominguez entered in the ninth inning with the game tied. He gave up a walk and two hits. He took the loss. On the other side, Alexis Diaz of the Reds pitched the final two innings, perfect innings, with three strikeouts. He picked up the win. He looks really good. He is far and away the Reds' best reliever. I'm hoping that they have something here, and he finishes out the season strong, and maybe... Just maybe the Reds have a closer to anoint heading into next season for the Cubs. Rowan wick had a clean ninth for his eighth save for the Astros. Ryan Presley also had a clean ninth for his 24th. The Dodgers are sticking with Craig Kimbrell for now, they say, Uh, and he allowed two base runners in a one run game, but did convert his 21st save of the season. We mentioned multiple times already what happened with the Yankees. Chapman did not look great on the other side. Jalen Beeks came on for the save in extra innings. He gave up a walk-off grand slam to Josh Donaldson. And then for the Diamondbacks, Ian Kennedy, blown save loss in yesterday's action. Mark Melanson comes on today, pitches a clean ninth inning for his 17th save. And I don't know that Mark Melanson is back on track, but I heard somewhere that he's changed his pitching mechanics or he figured something out. And I don't know, maybe that helps Mark Melanson uh, pick up a few more saves here down the stretch. He said he
0: wanted to create more tension throughout his body. Uh, to improve his command.
1: Okay. he You know, he always did kind of look stiff now that I think about it, right? Mark and he kind of does this uh, weird step and his arms are out a little bit. He Yeah, he always yeah, kind of looked it's like it's he not, pitched kind of stiff.
0: Yeah, not the most graceful looking pitcher out there, <laughs> right. I would say.
1: Yeah. Uh, to stream or not to stream, we'll start with Thursday. Dane Dunning versus the A's. Adrian Sampson at the Orioles. Spencer Watkins versus the Cubs. And JT Brubaker versus the Red Sox. I'm going to assume, Scott, that this is a big old no.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't like this group when we were previewing two days ahead yesterday. So uh, I think I said Dunning is the best choice of these, but not a great one.
1: Yes. Yes. Spencer Watkins against the Cubs. Uh, I don't know. Maybe if you're desperate. On Friday, we have Aaron Ashby at the Cubs. Keegan Thompson versus the Brewers. Cutter Crawford at the Orioles. Graham Ashcraft at the Pirates. Patrick Sandoval at the Tigers. And Marco Gonzalez at the A's.
0: So this group's a little more interesting. I guess Patrick Sandoval at the Tigers would have to be the top choice. (laughs) Uh, Even though he's been pretty... Pretty disappointing this year.
1: I think he has a 1.5 whip or something like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I also like Ashby at the Cubs, Gonzalez, Marco Gonzalez at the A's. Don't mind Ashcraft at the Pirates. Don't even mind Cutter Crawford at the Orioles. Yeah. So I think the only one of these I wouldn't consider is Keegan Thompson. By the way, on the subject... Uh, of facing the Tigers Uh, we didn't mention him but Michael Kopech had a follow-up start to his best start of the season last time which was against the Tigers and remember he got 22 swinging strikes 11 strikeouts in that previous start against the Tigers Mm -hmm. back down to earth in Wednesday's start against the Astros only 7 swinging strikes instead of 22 and only 2 strikeouts instead of 11
1: We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.